Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrins reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and turned him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate released, Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to the crucifiers. This is the word of the Lord. Well, please remain standing. I'll pray for us now. We pray, our Lord and God, that you would help us to grasp, as we've been singing, uh, the amazing love that you have demonstrated for us in the Lord Jesus on the cross, and not only grasp it, but be so overwhelmed by it that we would indeed want to respond with giving our whole lives uh, back to you in praise and worship and glory of your name. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, please do sit down. I want to uh, congratulate you for just getting here. Uh, So well done. And I do feel the pressure that it better be worth it now as I stand up and preach. Uh, So I'm going to do my best. Uh, Two things you might like to do. One would be to turn back in your Bibles to the uh, reading that uh, Ricky read for us uh, just a moment ago. Page 1022 is the page number. The other thing that you might like to do is to dig out your, uh, the handout of the sermon outline, uh, which uh, there's a quote or two on there that might be particularly, well, there's one quote on there that you might like to follow along uh, with me. Mark 15, as we look on through Mark's gospel leading up to Easter. Uh, a young police officer was taking his final exam at a police training college in London. And one of the questions read as follows. You're on patrol in the suburbs of London when an explosion occurs in a gas main on a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognise the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector who is at present on leave in the USA. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realise that he's a man who's wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly a man runs out of a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and that the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. 
Another man is crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provision of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few acts what actions you would take. Well, the officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote these words. I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> Brilliant answer, I think. Faced with a huge issue, a seemingly impossible conundrum and not knowing where to run, just blending with the crowd and making no decision seemed like a really smart option. But it's not always the smart option, as we'll see very clearly today in our Bible passage. As we look at the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, he tried to do exactly that with Jesus Christ. He tried to remain neutral, to make no decision, to to blend in with the crowd. And we'll see that is a disaster. Well, let's set the scene in the first point then on the handout, the scene. At the end of chapter 14, we witness Peter's spectacular spiritual collapse. We saw it last week. Uh, Peter publicly denied Jesus and in the process you'll see in chapter 14 verse 71 he called down curses on himself. So here is Peter at this moment under the curse of God. Now at the beginning of chapter 15 Mark shows us that the religious leaders also rejected Jesus. They too then are under God's curse. Look at chapter 15 verse 1. Very early in the morning The chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, turned him over to Pilate. It was very early in the morning. Jesus' trial before the religious leaders had been an all-nighter. And finally they'd reached their decision. In their minds, Jesus was guilty. The list of those involved in that decision, in verse 1, makes it plain that all Israel participated in this decision. And note there at the end of verse 1, they bound Jesus, treating him like a dangerous criminal. That is remarkable when you think back to Jesus' own arrest, how they'd gone out to get him with, with swords and clubs and how Jesus stopped Peter from fighting back. They didn't need to bound, have him bound. He wasn't dangerous at all. But they decided he was guilty and dangerous, such is the prejudice of people when it comes to Jesus Christ. So Peter has rejected Jesus. Now the religious leaders have rejected Jesus. And now in chapter 15, we'll see that Pilate rejected Jesus too. Now while this whole narrative is about Jesus, about Jesus heading up towards the cross, while it really is about Jesus, Mark at the same time skillfully writes in a way that at different sections of Mark's gospel, he raises up, or may I use this phrase, he embosses various characters so that we might identify with them. Now, if Mark actually did have an embosser, if you were to run your finger down chapter 15, 1 to, 1 to 15, it would be Pilate's name that is just raised up. For in these 15 verses, the name Pilate appears 10 times. And so Mark is raising Pilate up out of the page and asking us if we identify with him in any way. That's an important question for us to ask ourselves because unlike, Pilate, uh, unlike Peter and the religious leaders, Pilate at first glance doesn't appear to be rejecting Jesus. At first glance, he seems to be fairly neutral about Jesus. But here's the thing that we'll learn today. We cannot be neutral about Jesus. In making a decision, in making no decision, we are making a decision. Now, we see why that's the case as we look, secondly, uh, the second point on the handout, the charge. 
The big conclusion the religious leaders came to was that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. We saw that back in chapter 14 and verse 64 a few weeks back. In their minds, Jesus was worthy of death for claiming to be God. But because Israel was occupied by the Romans and Jews didn't have the authority to put Jesus to death and the Romans wouldn't recognize the blasphemy charge, they took Jesus to Pilate on a charge of high treason. Now you can see that in the question that Pilate asked Jesus in verse two. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king in opposition to Caesar? That was the issue for Pilate. Now, insurrection from a Jewish uprising had already been a problem. We see that later on in the passage in verse seven. So they were worried that it might be happening again. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? That's the charge that Pilate put before Jesus. But again, more importantly for us, it is the identity of Jesus that Mark says we should be considering. Is Jesus the king of the Jews? You see, that title, the king of the Jews, is repeated again and again throughout this section. We see it in verse two. You'll see it again in verse nine. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? It comes again in verse 12. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? We see it as he stands before the soldiers in verse 18. They began to call out to him, hail, king of the Jews. And then, of course, we see it as Jesus is uh, lifted up on the cross and the, uh, the, uh, the, the sign that is put above the cross there in verse 26, the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. So that's the issue. The charge against Jesus is that he is king of the Jews, the Messiah, the, the judge of the world, God himself. That's what we saw Jesus claim for himself as he stood on trial before the religious leaders back in chapter 14, verses 61 to 64. And that is why you and I cannot remain neutral when it comes to Jesus. You see, if Jesus isn't the king of the Jews, if he isn't the Messiah, then the Jewish leaders are right. He's guilty of blasphemy and he should be killed. But if he is the king of the Jews, if he is the Messiah, the judge of the world and God himself, well, then we can't ignore him and we can't be neutral about him. He doesn't actually leave that option open to us. But interestingly, that is the option that many people want to take. Like the young policeman facing an impossible scenario, they want to take off their uniform, make no decision and blend in with the crowd when it comes to Jesus Christ. Uh, No, they don't want to write him off as a blasphemer. They know he's not that. But equally, they don't want to acknowledge him as the king. For then they'd have to worship him and serve him all their days. And they don't want to do that. And that's why so many remain, they think, neutral about Jesus. But as we've already thought, you can't remain neutral about Jesus. The way people do that, of course, is they they say that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. It sounds very positive, but it's a position with no integrity. It's the neutral uh, position, which means I don't have to write Jesus off as a blasphemer and I don't have to embrace him as king of the universe. Islam does a similar thing. Muslims recognize Jesus as a prophet, but a prophet doesn't make the claims that Jesus made at his trial. Now, in demonstrating this very point, C.S. Lewis uh, writes in in Mere Christianity, uh, the quote that is over the page on the the handout. Uh, I think this is a brilliant quote. Uh, This is at the end of uh, one of the chapters in uh, Mere Christianity. And in summing up, 
Lewis writes these words. I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, says Lewis. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Strong words from C.S. Lewis, but I think his logic is brilliant. Jesus, then, doesn't leave us the option to remain neutral. You're either for him or against him. The scene... All have rejected Jesus. The charge, Jesus is the king of the Jews. Thirdly, on the handout, the verdict, verse three. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, are you going to answer? See how many things they've accused you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. We've already heard the verdict from the religious leaders. They think Jesus is guilty. But the verdict from heaven was quite different. Do you notice it there in verse 5? Jesus remained silent. And Pilate was amazed by Jesus' silence. Pilate had been used to defend defendants standing before him and pleading their innocence, pressing him to believe their side of the story, begging for mercy. No wonder Pilate was amazed at Jesus' silence. But it's not just Jesus' reaction that is different from other defendants that we're to know. Mark is telling us something very important here. We saw exactly the same response from Jesus back in chapter 14 and verse 16 as he stood before the Jewish court. You see it there? Chapter 14, verse 6, sorry, 1461. Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Now, with Jesus' silence then before us at both trials, Uh, Just keep your finger in Mark chapter 15 and come back with me to Isaiah 53. It's page 740 in the Bible. Page 740. And here we'll see the point of the silence of Jesus at his trials. Page 740, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 and and verse 7 is the verse we're going to look at. Here is um, Isaiah speaking of the suffering servant, the suffering servant who would, verse 5, be pierced for our transgressions. So speaking of the suffering servant, Isaiah says, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. You see, there's the silence. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Here's the point for us. Isaiah tells us that the promised suffering servant, the one who would be pierced in order to take upon himself the sin of the world, this servant would be silent on the way to his death. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep being sheared, he wouldn't wriggle and squirm and try to get out of this situation. No, he would willingly and silently take what was coming to him. So when we read in Mark's gospel, Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Jesus made no reply. 
We're to think, ah, this king of the Jews is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, written all those 700 years before Jesus. It's coming true. Crucially for us this morning, see what else Isaiah writes about the suffering servant. Look at verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was innocent. Now with those words in our ears, come back with me to Mark chapter 15, page 1022. Remember the religious leaders have given their verdict. They believe Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. But heaven's verdict is quite different. By giving no reply, we know that Jesus is the innocent suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. Not guilty of blasphemy at all. He is the one, the promised one that the Old Testament points us to. The scene then, all have rejected Jesus. The charge, Jesus is the king of the Jews. The verdict, he's innocent. Fourthly, the sentence. Now, all that we've seen so far makes the sentence outrageous. Look down to verse 13 of Mark 15. The crowd shouted, crucify him. Verse 14, why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Egged on by the religious leaders, the crowd don't want justice. They want the one who is the king, the judge of the world, God himself, hung out to dry. They want him out of their lives and off this planet. And if that isn't bad enough, they want Barabbas released in his place. See, in verse 6, Mark tells us of a custom that they had at the Passover feast, a custom to release a prisoner. And the crowd, stirred up by the chief priests, verse 11, the crowd asked for Barabbas rather than Jesus to be released. Barabbas, we're told in verse 7, was an insurrectionist, a murderer, a convicted criminal, but the crowd wanted him released rather than Jesus, the innocent king and God shows again the guilt of everyone involved in this whole story leading up to Jesus' death. Peter's guilty. The religious leaders are guilty. The crowd were all guilty of rejecting Jesus. And then we see that Pilate was guilty as well. That brings us to our fifth point, the governor, Pilate. See, as we've read this, we should begin to feel the outrage of this injustice. Here is an innocent man who is framed by the religious establishment and not given a fair trial by the state. It is outrageous. If this were to come to light in Britain today, it would be the lead story on the 10 o'clock news and be the front page headline in every national newspaper for days. This was a huge miscarriage of justice. And here's the real problem. There was someone who could have done something about it. And that's Pilate. Look at his actions through these verses and notice especially the editorial comments from Mark. Uh, Again, I I use that phrase quite deliberately. Notice how Mark puts in editorial comments. He writes certain things so that we note certain things. The first editorial comment comes in verse 5. We've already seen it. Uh, Jesus made no reply. Here's the comment. And Pilate was amazed. Uh, Jesus was different to prisoners that were brought before him in the past. He was silent, not pleading his case. And Pilate was amazed by that silence. Now, being a Gentile, Pilate 
probably didn't know Isaiah chapter 53, but Pilate knew there was something different about Jesus and he knew enough to know that Jesus wasn't guilty. And we can see that from the second editorial comment in verse 10. Knowing that it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. See, Pilate knew there was nothing in this charge against Jesus. It was just the envy of the chief priests that had meant they'd handed Jesus over to him. Now look down to verse 14. As the crowd called for Jesus' blood, Pilate asked them, why? What crime has he committed? Pilate knew that he was innocent. He knew that Jesus had been stitched up, that there was nothing in this charge. And so it begs the question, why didn't Pilate stand up and do the right thing? And Mark gives us the answer to that question in his third editorial comment there in verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. There's the point. Pilate was a crowd pleaser. It's a desperate indictment against Pilate. But remember this as we go on. Mark raises up Pilate as the one we're to compare ourselves with. Mark wants us to ask ourselves, when it comes to Jesus, are we like Pilate? Are we swayed by the crowd? Does pleasing the crowd override what we know to be right? Pilate's mistake began back in verse 6. See, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who'd committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Now again, here's the issue. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. But he also knew the Jewish religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. He's a crowd pleaser. He has a crowd, a bunch of people who want Jesus dead, but he knows he's innocent. So Pilate's trying to find his way out when suddenly he discovers that he had another card to play. What he thinks is an ace up his sleeve. Here was Pilate's opportunity. He could have Jesus released on this special arrangement. The crowd surely would ask for Jesus to be released. Pilate thought the crowd would choose Jesus. He had it all worked out then. The crowd would ask for Jesus to be released and when the religious leaders were annoyed with Pilate for releasing Jesus, he'd just say, well, that's what the crowd asked for. But Pilate's scheme horribly backfired. Verse nine. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You see, he wanted, that's what he wanted. Pilate was confident that the crowd would ask for Jesus. But, verse 11, the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. And the rest, as they say, is history. We know what happens. But that was a desperate moment for a crowd pleaser as they cried out to ask Jesus to be crucified and Barabbas released. And so, verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Crucifixion was the most humiliating and gruesome method of execution. The Romans reserved it for their worst offenders and yet Pilate, knowing Jesus was innocent, handed him over to that death, all because he was a crowd pleaser. And so as we look at Pilate, Mark Mark wants us to ask ourselves, what do we do with Jesus? Who do we listen to when it comes to Jesus? Are we intimidated by the crowd? 
Have we made up our minds about Jesus based on the facts or on popular opinion? Have we looked at the evidence that Jesus is the innocent Lamb of God, the King of the Jews, the Judge of the world, no less than God himself? Are we strong enough to look at the evidence and to come to the right conclusion and do the right thing? Now let's be clear, if we're swayed by the crowd, we won't follow Jesus because the crowd, the majority, are against Jesus. Well, I reckon there'll be some here this morning and you're, you're trying to weigh up your own response to Jesus. Well, let me say thank you for coming, especially today when it's been so cold and you've had to battle through the snow. Well done for coming. And let me ask you, do you see who Jesus is from this Bible passage? Do you see why the neutral option is not a credible option? If you are weighing things up, please allow me to invite you to ask your questions. We are very happy to look at the evidence with you. I personally would love to chat with you if you're still weighing it all up. Let's find a time to go out for a coffee and and you can quiz me. I'd love that. And if you are in that that position now, just weighing up who is Jesus, why don't you think about coming along to our next Christianity Explored course that begins after Easter? There you'll have a a safe and pleasant environment where you can ask any question where no question is a bad question. There'll be others of us here, dozens and dozens of us, and we're already convinced that Jesus is who he claims to be. But we too also have to watch that we're not influenced by the crowd. And you don't need me to tell you that the majority in this nation are not for Jesus. The majority of people we meet in everyday life are going to be against him. They won't be for what he stands for and for what he teaches. And so as we look at Pilate, we need to be courageous and definite in standing against the crowd. It's far too easy to be like Pilate. He's not a very attractive man, though, is he? He's a weak man, a man who knew the truth, who knew that Jesus is innocent, but who wasn't strong enough to stand against the crowd. And if we're like that, faced with a conundrum of standing for Jesus or going with the crowd, we will be tempted to take off our uniform and mingle with the crowd just to blend in. Which might seem like a comfortable option, but it's not a position of integrity. And if we think about it for a moment, it's not a position with a future. For Jesus is the King of the Jews. He will return as judge of the world. And so to reject him really is not the smart choice. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we see two characters before us, we ask you to help us to see clearly uh, this morning. As we see Jesus, we see the one who is the innocent King of the Jews, the Messiah, the suffering servant spoken of hundreds of years before he came to earth. We pray we'd see him as he really is very clearly. And as we have Pilate before us, we pray we'd see him for who he was and ask you to give us strength not to be like him, but to be those who do the right thing when it comes to the Lord Jesus. Follow him, knowing that he is Lord and God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.